0: Okay, so my talk is about God speaking to us, and you can't hear me. Uh, That's a great start, isn't it? Somewhat ironic. Uh, Yeah, but as I said, if you have got a Bible, um, then do turn it open um, to page 886. That should get you to the beginning of John's Gospel. Um, We're going to be looking at John's Gospel, uh, the first part of it, over the next few weeks uh, leading up to Christmas. Uh, But let me start with a question for you. How exactly is it that Christians can say so confidently that they know the truth about God? About the point of all this, about what happens when you die? About what the true meaning of life is? And isn't saying that you know the answer to those questions just incredibly arrogant? I think we need to acknowledge tonight that there is a certain logic to that question, isn't there? And we don't tend to think too highly of people who are overly confident uh, about their opinions, do we? we? We expect people to be circumspect, to be uh, cautious, particularly when it comes to uh, the really big and important questions of life. Uh, in my job, we have a word for it. We call it professional skepticism. Anybody who's too confident, who's too clear, uh, who's too brave about what they think, especially about the big questions of life, well, we tend to write them off. But I want us to see tonight in John 1 that there is a way for us to be sure. There is a way for us to know the truth and to know that we know the truth without being arrogant. Because knowing the truth and knowing God does not not rest on our intellectual capabilities uh, or on our moral goodness. But rather it rests on the one person who is uniquely qualified to reveal the truth to us and who has gone to the most incredible lengths To do so. The person who John calls here in John chapter 1, verse 1, the Word. So let's take a look at that tonight. Um, We're going to do it under three headings, and the first one is this In the beginning was the Word. We're going to see that in verses 1 to 5. The beginning seems like a good place to start, doesn't it? But John does that in a slightly different way to uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you know your Bibles, you'll know that uh, they are the other eyewitness accounts. Uh, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And they all start, appropriately enough, with Jesus' birth. Uh, It's the sort of thing which you're probably going to come across uh, and read in the next few weeks as we head up to Christmas. Uh, Mary and Joseph and the donkey, or donkeys, or however many we have here. John, however, starts his account much, much further back. In the beginning are the first three words of John's gospel, but they're also the first three words of another book. They're the first three words of Genesis. And John is taking us back to where Genesis begins, right at the beginning, at the beginning of the universe. And it's here that we first meet this person, the Word. And we find out four things about him pretty quickly. Firstly, the Word is eternal. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And then in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. John takes us back to the beginning, uh, but it's the beginning of the universe as we know it, not the beginning of the Word himself, who John tells us was there even before the beginning. In other words, he's eternal. He always has been. He always will be. So the first thing we learn about the Word is he is eternal. He was there before the beginning, which makes sense uh, later on of the slightly odd timeline that John uh, Puts together when he says that the Word was somehow before him, even though he 's come after him. second thing that we learn about the Word is that the Word is God. It says that right up front, doesn 't it? Verse one, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Being with God at the beginning of the creation would be quite the claim in itself, wouldn't it be? But John goes one step further. He wants us to be absolutely sure that the person that he's speaking about here, the Word, doesn't want us to be in any doubt that his credentials are absolutely pure. They're absolutely the best that they could be because the Word wasn't just with God at the beginning of creation. He was God. So the Word is eternal, the Word is forever, and the Word is God. Thirdly, the Word is the Creator. Verse 3 tells us that all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. The word is eternal, he's always been, and the word wasn't just with God, he is God. But thirdly, the word wasn't just there at the beginning of creation. He was intimately involved and an active participant in creating it. Uh, My day job is to be an internal auditor, which is normally where the conversations stop because no one knows what that is and it kind of sounds boring, But a big part of my job is dropping into a new area of the government and trying to work out what is going on there. And in order to do that, I'm really dependent upon finding the right person to speak to. I need somebody who's got the necessary skill, the necessary experience, the necessary seniority, who understands what's going on and who can explain it to me. And here, if you like, for John, the word is that person. The perfect person who has all the qualifications to let us know exactly what is going on and exactly what everything means. The Greek word which we've got translated here, the word, is logos. And there are books that have been written about what that word means. But it translates as something like the shaping, ordering, and directing principle of the universe. So at the beginning of John chapter 1, we're here not just at the beginning of the universe in a historical sense, but we're here at the beginning of the universe because we're at its heart, we're at its source. The word is the center of the universe, literally. Or as Colossians chapter 1 puts it a little bit later on in the New Testament, all things were created through him and for him. This word is uniquely qualified to tell us what God is like and what, tr- uh, what life is truly about because he is God and he is life. I said before that in my work, I need someone who knows what they're talking about uh, to talk to me in order to help me understand. Uh, the problem is I often find that the people who are best qualified uh, to speak about things are also the people whose diaries are the busiest uh, and who are less willing to speak to me. What about the word then? If there is such a person He was there right at the beginning of creation and who was intimately involved with it, and who is God himself? Is he willing to communicate with us? Is he willing to reveal to us the meaning of life? What God is really like? What it really means to be human? Well, we get a hint in verses 4 and 5 where we see that the word brings life. Verse 4 says, In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus says that not only is the word willing to speak, he already has done. The light has shone in the darkness. What exactly does that mean? Well, I think another part of the Bible can help us here. The very first chapter of the letter to the Romans says this in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. In other words, God is not hiding from us. Day by day, he is revealing himself to us through creation, whether that's a clear night sky in the Northumberland countryside or a Hawaiian sunset. And God speaks to us through our consciences. In the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that he has set eternity in the hearts of men. In other words, each one of us, deep down, has a sense that there is something more to life than what we see around us. That there is something eternal to it that we are meant for. So the word is Eternal. The word is God, and the word is willing to speak to us. He's uniquely qualified to reveal the truth to us, and he's already started to do so through the world around us and through our conscience within us. Secondly, we're told in verse 6, light has come into the world. Light has come into the world. In verse 6, John inserts himself into the story, but in doing so, he makes sure very clearly to tell us that the story's not about him, He's not the center of attention. Look at verse 8. He, that's told talking about himself, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The focus in John's gospel is not on John, it's on the word. It's on this true light that is coming into the world, which verse 9 tells us, enlightens everyone. I've got a picture coming up on the screen here, which is uh, the shield of uh, Dartmouth College. It's a university, or college, uh, as they call it in the U.S. Uh, And this is uh, the crest that was uh, drawn um, at the very beginning of its institution and which uh, carries on today. Uh, And if you can see it uh, clearly enough, in the top left-hand corner of the shield, there is a book uh, shining light uh, onto the university. Uh, And that book is... Uh, the Bible. It's the truth about God. Uh, And the authors, the creators of that shield, wanted people to understand uh, that the way to true wisdom and knowledge uh, is not through the two people walking around, carrying a book, talking to themselves, but it's through God shining his light, his truth, his knowledge onto the world by which we can understand the world around us. John tells us that the true light is coming into the world to bring life to us. A light, a little bit like the sun, uh, that brings life and allows us to see. But we're told that not everybody responds favorably to that light. Look at verse 10. It says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. So we're still talking about this character, the word, the light. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The world rejects the world, the world rejects the word, and the word, the world rejects the light. Even though that brings life, you see, the issue here is not a lack of evidence or a lack of authority. If anyone had the right credentials, the right knowledge, the right authority to reveal the truth to us, then surely it's this person, the word, the true light. He's the creator of the universe. He's, he's our maker, and he wants to speak to us. And yet we're told that the world doesn't recognize him. I can remember my parents talking about a friend that they had met through work. Um, he's someone that they'd been trying to tell about Jesus for many years. And after a little while, he'd become interested and started asking uh, a lot of questions uh, and had come, started to come along to church. Uh, but eventually, after a while, the questions started to dry up and he was less keen to come along. And so... My dad asked this guy, John, what's going on? You seem so interested and you had so many questions before. Have have we said something to offend you? Have something happened? And the answer he gave um, was very honest, but very difficult to hear. He said, I don't want to talk about Jesus anymore because I start to realize that all of this might just be true. And if that is the case, then it means I'm going to have to change a few things about my life And I'm sorry, but I'm not just willing to do that. The truth about God and knowing him is not just an intellectual question. It's not just a question that we answer in our heads. It's a decision with consequences for how we live. Ultimately, it's a decision that we make with our hearts. For some people, like John, that was just too much to accept. Now, we can dress that up and people often do and we give multiple reasons why we're not willing uh, to engage but John says no the truth about God is not unclear it's not hiding he wants to speak to you he wants to know to you in fact he's desperate to know you but that means accepting who he really is what does that look like well we get a little insight a little glimpse of that uh, in verse 12 which says this But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those who are willing to receive the word, those who are willing to listen to the light that has come into this world, and let's not mess around. The word, the light, that's Jesus Christ. Trusting in the name of Jesus isn't like us choosing a political party or a football team to support, or even a philosophy to follow. Recognizing Jesus has massive consequences. It means that incredible things can be said to be true about you. If you receive Jesus, if you believe in his name, in other words, if you trust in the things that he has done, then John says that you are given royal privileges. You are quite literally the child of a king. And that's the point of John's whole gospel, by the way. Not just that you would learn the truth so that you could be correct in your thinking, but so that you could have life in Jesus' name. Uh, if you cheat a bit and skip to the end uh, of John and get to John chapter 20, verse 31, uh, then John tells you why he wrote the book. He talks about all the events that have happened, all the miracles, all the incidents uh, in Jesus' life. And he says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. The last thing that trusting in Jesus requires is arrogance. In fact, the sole requirement of Christianity is humility it's a willingness to accept that we are wrong, that we are sinful, that we need help, and that we are not the source of truth, but God is. The truth about God is available. The only question is, Are we prepared to listen to the answers? Thirdly, and finally, in the final few verses of our passage tonight, in verses 14 to 18, we see the Word become flesh. John told us, didn't he, that the Word was there at the beginning, that the Word was with God, and that the Word was God, and that all things that exist were made by and through the Word. And now the Word has shone his life-giving light into the world, speaking into our hearts the truth about Who God is? Well, now the Word becomes flesh. And if we're in any doubt about who the Word or the true light was, then verse 14 puts any remaining doubt to bed, doesn't it? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who could that possibly be other than Jesus Christ himself? God became man, living amongst us. The Word was there before the creation of the universe, but now we're told... He's taken on the form of a human man and lived among us on earth. Jesus, who is fully God, has stepped into our reality and become fully human. Why? Well, to show us in an even more incredible and clear and deep way than creation or our consciences, than even the story of God's people and how he'd cared for them throughout history, just who God is and what he is like. He comes to show us God's glory and his grace. And there is no other belief system or faith or religion or philosophy that is anything like this that claims that the God of the universe, the one who created the stars in the sky and who holds the breath in your lungs right now, would reduce himself to human form, contract himself to a man's body and step into our world in order to relate to us. In order to show us what he was like, in order to put us in a place where we could have a relationship with us. We're going to see throughout John's gospel how it's possible for us, imperfect creatures, to know and to enjoy the perfect and holy God. We get a glimpse of just how this is going to happen in verses 16 to 18. It says in verse 16, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace from Jesus, from the word, from the light, from his absolute and perfect righteousness, from all his fullness, we're going to be shown grace. And not just grace one time, but grace after grace after grace. Now, John, even now at the beginning of his book, is looking ahead, looking ahead to Jesus' death and resurrection, to the cross where Jesus will exchange his perfection for our sin, his fullness for our emptiness, his innocence For our guilt. This will be the mechanism through which we will come not just to hear the truth about God, but to enjoy relationship with Him. Verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses. The law revealed something of the attributes of God, of who He is, of His perfection, of His holiness. But in the end, it was a bad news story because we're not like that and we can't keep the law. And so we can know the truth about God, but we can't be in relationship with him through the law. But grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God. is at the Father's side, has made him known. We can't see God here and now, but we can know him truly, and we can have relationship with him through Jesus Christ. An exact representation of the Father. Glorious radiance. Of his glory. So how is it then that Christians can say uh, that they know the truth? They can know the truth because they know the word. A person who is uniquely qualified to show us what God is like. And they can know the truth because that word has come into the world. Has offered us a way uh, to know the perfect and mighty and holy God. Because the word who is God and was with God in the very beginning... Has come, become flesh, and who has shown us God's glory and grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you do not leave us guessing about who you are. I thank you that you are willing to let your Son, the Word, the true light, step down into history and into our world and to live and to suffer, and to die, but to be raised again, Lord, not just so that we could know what you are like in an intellectual sense, but so that we could know you, day by day, hour by hour, and so that we can be trusted that one day we will be with you, and enjoy your presence forever. Amen.